several great things about this. One, I've just now increased my diverse spend, right? For something that I know I need to buy. We have all learned that in this last year, solo track sourcing is probably not the best long-term strategy for anybody moving forward. So by having a second provider of that good or service, great, now I have a redundant system. So if something should happen to my main supplier, I now have a backup. Welcome to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground, where we talk about supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity with everyone from academics, historians, and business leaders. With your hosts, Chloe Guidry-Reed and Adam Moore, you'll hear inspiring stories and practical tips for overcoming challenges and gaining insight into supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity. Let's dive in. This episode is brought to you by Higher Ground. Higher Ground is a technology company whose mission is to bridge the wealth gap through access to procurement opportunities. Higher Ground is making the enterprise ecosystem more viable, profitable, and competitive by clearing the path for minority-led, women-led, LGBT-led, and veteran-led small businesses to contribute to the global economy as suppliers to enterprise organizations. For more information on getting started, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E-G-R-O-U-N-D.io. Now on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. You're joined again by your two favorite hosts. I'm Adam Moore here with Chloe Goodry-Reed, and today we'll be talking about innovation in the world of supplier diversity and inclusion. The world is rapidly changing around us, so diverse suppliers and Fortune 500 companies alike need to make sure that they are looking to grow and innovate in the coming year. Supplier diversity and supplier inclusion is a mission critical to companies that are trying to stay competitive. So let's look at the impact of supplier diversity in some ways to refine inclusive supply chains. So, Chloe, it's just you and I today on the episode, right? Yes, it is, which I always love. I mean, I love our guests. But I love yes. being able to discuss and really delve into some of these topics when it's just exactly, exactly. And what I think everybody has to understand is when we have these conversations, this is like the conversations you and I have when we're off mic, too. So exactly. I mean, this is if you ever really wanted to know what goes on in Chloe and I's head, you're <laughs> about to get it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And so, you know, in preparing for this conversation, mm-hmm. you know, I'm all about facts. Of so, course. yes, got to be. Pulled some up to share with our okay. guests to just kind okay. of level set. And so, because right. I don't know that everyone knows, like, I think we all seen, wow, there's this rise over this last couple of years, but I don't know if right. we really know how big that rise was mm-hmm. of supplier diversity mm-hmm. programs. So just to inform everyone, nearly 30% of organizations say that they have now set formal diversity spending goals for the very first time in this last year. And obviously, this was in response to Mm -hmm. a lot of the racial injustice that we saw in 2020. But by 2025, supplier diversity organizations plan to spend 54% more of their total spend with diverse owned businesses compared to historically what you've seen is more of anywhere from 13 to 20%. I mean, that's That's a significant increase. It is. I mean, that's a huge lift. That is an absolutely huge lift. And we're all going to have to get um, creative to do that, right? I mean, you and I both know, I mean, a 10% sustained increase feels like a Herculean effort. Right. But to try to get you to beyond half of your spend yeah. is 
that's going to take all of us locking arms, right? And doing this together. I love that you said that um, because I think collaboration is key and we can no longer do this in silos. We have to start working together. And I think creating a little bit more collaboration within industries, creating a little bit more collaboration with the certifying bodies, um, but also, you know, seeing suppliers as partners. And by that, I mean looking at options to help them grow. So if they can do X and are already working with you, why not talk to them about doing Y? You know, that's just, you know, very similar to what they're already providing so that you can actually help hit some of these goals. Yeah. And, you know, that's an amazing thing is to to think of them as partners. And that's, that takes time to sit down. We often talk about this. We talk about this to our small business leaders, right? And that is, you need to take time to sit back and kind of envision your organization and where you want to grow it to, right? So as supplier diversity professionals, we have to sit back and go, okay, let me envision my corporation, my body, right? Yeah. And yeah. how I want it to look in five years, and then try to find some of those kind of out-of-the-box solutions, right, to grow them. And yeah. I love that. Do we, 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 if we have a high performer in there, and we have a function that needs to be, you know, a, a service or something that we need, we would love to source to a diverse supplier. Why can't we just train this other supplier to help provide that service to us? Yeah. Right. We've already got them in house. We know what they can do. They know what we can do. They already know the culture and we can train them exactly how we want it delivered. Exactly. I heard someone the other day <laughs> describe it as we need to teach them how to be married to us. And this was the head of procurement talking about this. So it is, it is quite a process understanding. And and to your point, if you're already working with a fortune 500 company, which we know that depending on what it is that you're doing for them, that can take anywhere from six to seven months just to get onboarded. Just to get onboarded. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And so, right, you, you've got them in, you've already got them included. You've kind of built over some of these risks. Uh, but I think the other thing too, then, is we have to not just stop at that too, right? We And, and you and I kind of touched this, on this a little bit in our pre-show discussion, mm-hmm. but that's in the, also making sure they have the capital to do that too, ah, right? And, yes. Yeah. And, and so it is trying to work into that. Um, and it might be maybe you need to start looking at setting up your own um, like foundations. Yes. Right. To kind of help start do some of this and, and would be there to help support some of these these suppliers. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I think, um, I think one of the things that I have seen and I'm trying to get my head around personally is the idea of M&A in supplier diversity. So I'm sorry. We yes. always do this in our show, right? Yes. So, so mergers and acquisitions, M&A. Yes. If you talk to the NMSDC and their BDR, Billion Dollar Roundtable, right. they have a program like, like what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about it on a more kind of localized level. And the idea is simple. We take a high potential minority owner and we find a business that needs to be supplied and we buy it as a collaborative group and put this person in as the owner. Now we've created ta-da, a minority business that has value equity and is it is contract ready, right? Yes. That's the other thing you and I spend a lot of time on talking about. What does it mean to be contract ready, right? So this person would be contract ready. Which is a real thing. That is, a, oh, that's another whole episode, everybody. Yes, yes. Uh, but- I'm like, okay, that's great. But I'm looking at my own personal organization. I'm like, that may or may not work for us, depending on what the collaborative decides that they're going to go out and do this with, right? Mm. So I'm like, why don't we then, if we've got you know, the budget, 
set it aside and say, okay, we have X service that we find very valuable. Mm-hmm. We have found nobody to provide it, right? Let's see if we can't create our own kind of M&A infrastructure. I love it. Buy that business, put a minority ownership in it, then train them, mentor them in how do you do business for us? What does right. that model look like delivering this service? Right. And because now think about what we've done. Now we've taken out that risk because what is one of the biggest risks when you're talking to service managers is I need this service provided, but boy, I really hope these people can follow through with everything they've promised me on the sales pitch. Right. But if I've actually built the business to meet my needs from the ground up, literally, and then mentored them on how to do business with me and others like me. Mm. I've kind of created the perfect storm. Absolutely. And especially then if you have, I think it could especially be helpful if you then connect them to others, you know, within your industry or you said company, then connect them to your tier one suppliers to then also Mm -hmm. help them grow and expand. Yes, most definitely. And in part of that program too, make sure they're doing tier two. Absolutely. Because they're going to need support services themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. So you're creating a whole ecosystem then at that point. I think that you see that more and more with large corporations is either through their foundation or their internal venture arms, they are investing in innovation in a different way. And I think that historically innovation teams um, have had like chief innovation officers are usually not working with supplier diversity, not what I've seen. And I think that 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 is a missed opportunity. I think that we need to start collaborating with the innovation teams and start thinking about what is our organization thinking about in terms of the future and how do we prepare the suppliers that we're doing business with today for the needs of the future of our organizational needs. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's that same adage. I think we've said it on this show before is, you never skate to where the puck is. You skate to where the puck is going to be. Right. Right. And that's a Wayne Gretzky quote. I love that. <laughs> Isn't that a great one? Because if you're not where that puck is right now and you're going to skate to where it is, it's gone by the time you get there. Right? Yeah. But you have to understand where it's going and then intercept it at that point. And that's what yeah. I'm not seeing a lot of. I mean, we talk about um, uh, labor on this show quite a bit. Right. And to me, there's a lot of skating to the puck. On both sides, both the corporate side and the diverse side, right? And if we're going to grow this number, right? And a lot of people sit there and go, okay, corporate America, what you going to do? You're going to grow the number? Let's watch you grow the number. Well, well, guys, you know, I think Chloe said it right. It's a partnership. And I can't grow my number if you guys don't help me grow my number, right? And you guys doing the same thing and the same thing as everybody else is doing, it's an issue. Right. I can't grow my number. And and I think there are some industries, we're kind of talking about innovation and supplier diversity. It's not always on the corporates to do it. It's not always on the corporates to innovate. Right. Right. It isn't. Do we have a fiduciary responsibility? Sure, we do. Not gonna not gonna slough that off one moment. But we gotta have help in in especially in, in areas that are highly populated. I think that's the right word I was trying to search for there. Yes. Maybe you guys need to stick or sit around, sit there and go, does it make sense for there to be 26,000 of us in this space? Right. Right. Does right. it make more sense for us to sit there and go, maybe we form a collaborative, right? 
Yeah. If we take your yeah. two customers and my two customers and your two customers, now we have six customers. Now we have mass. Yeah. I mean, I, I look at those low barrier to entry companies yes. and they're a, not necessarily a dime a dozen, but they are. And it becomes harder if I just put myself in the supplier diversity professionals shoes to differentiate all these different ones, because number one, your value proposition and your competitive advantage needs to really, really, really stand out and be super, super strong. It does. Because I've met with a million other companies exactly like you in the last three months. If you're going to go into the lower barrier of entry type ventures, right? There's not a lot of room for innovation. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, we can only sweep a floor so many ways. We can only put a person to work so many ways. I can only maintain a bush so many ways. Right. And trust right. me, it's very valuable that those skills are valuable. Those services are valuable. There is a need. There's a there's real spin dollars going into those things. Right. But yeah. if you're one of 20, yeah, it is almost a luck of the draw to who gets awarded the contract. And, and so it, you've got to sit there and kind of be smart and realize sometimes joining forces with those who are competing in the same space makes sense because now you're a bigger entity. You give up control. Sure. But yeah, at the end of the day, what are we trying to do? We're trying to make sure that you know in our grayer years, we're all living a little bit more life of comfort, right? So yeah. we're trying to close wealth gaps, right? That's, that's what we're right. talking about there. We're trying to close wealth gaps. So sometimes we have to sit there and go, is closing the wealth gap mean I am going to live and die by my own company? Or am I going to really try, take a true strategic approach and figure out how can we do it better than the other 20 competitors on this list? Yeah, I think that that's, that's critical. I think, you know, there's no better time than now to, to do that mm -hmm. because, you know, as we talked about the increase in spend, organizations are also becoming a lot more inclusive on just the ethnicity too, yes. like really, so really, really focusing yeah. on, mm -hmm. you know, the MBE spend and being thoughtful. How is that being sliced and diced, mm -hmm. you know, among, you know, black owned businesses, Asian owned businesses, Hispanic owned businesses, Indian owned businesses, all of it. We want to see that full picture. Mm -hmm. And now what I've seen, which I really can appreciate is more companies putting numbers behind that. Here's how we're going to increase it with this particular group. And this is how we're going to increase it with this particular group. And so I just think that, you know, now is a really, really good time if you fall into any of those groups to really think about what is my value proposition? What are mm -hmm. the needs of my existing customer base? And how can I continue to be innovative alongside of them as a partner? Yeah. And, you know, I think also kind of in that same vein, we need to look at our NGOs, right? The certifying groups and, and say, we need you guys to innovate a little bit too. You know, I feel like yeah. sometimes we get a lot of rinse and repeat and it's frustrating for the corpus because we come to them like, hey, we've got to increase our spend to X percent. What can you do to help us? And they go, let's have a matchmaking event. And I'm like, great. You know, so um, <laughs> that's that's something else. But it is all of this together. Right. I, yes. I have to have my NGOs help innovate some of that. I have to have my suppliers start to innovate some of that. And I mean, what if these matchmaking groups are we start talking to in, in, inside the verticals of, well, how do we combine some of you together in a tactical partnership? 
Absolutely. Right. What does that look like? How do you guys make that happen? How do, how do we make this better for the corporates? The corporates are then like, how do I then help make it better for the suppliers? And at this point now, everybody's starting to win because as that's gaining mass and we're spending more then you're able to go and create bigger relationships and the bigger the relationship gets, the more customers. So, I mean, I, th- I think that's that's it, right? This, the, the model of go out, find great suppliers and bring them in house is only going to work so far. Right. I think I think we have to realize that there are certain industries. Yes, that is going to work. Software development, that's probably going to work. Right. Some of those different ones like that. But to our suppliers and and I get this question all the time and and it's starting to become more and more crystal clear to me on the why. And the why I'm always asked as a corporate is, is I'll have a diverse business owner come up to me and go, why should I even be part of XYZ group? Right. I'm paying this money and I don't see any increase in in my contracts. Well, as I'm seeing it now is the answer is then you're looking at it incorrectly. If you're just coming in thinking I've got a blank MSA in my pocket that I'm just going to hand to you, then yes, you're probably wrong. But if you want to come and listen, because us corporates, we do go to these organizations and we go to these shows and we talk about here is our issue. Here is our problem. Here's what we're looking for. Here's how we're trying to innovate, right? Listen to what we're saying, guys, because we're telling you where the puck is going, right? Four years ago, if everybody was taught, there was whispers of, we've got to do all this stuff called ESG. We have no idea what ESG is. Do you know how many people <laughs> have innovated on ESG? Well, almost nobody. Uh, in the U.S., but you in the U.S. Now, the Europe is way. Um, yes. Yeah, they're so far ahead. Yes. So, hey, U.S.-based companies, go over to Europe, figure out what they're doing, bring it back over here and sell it. Absolutely. You've got to use the NGOs to link up with your corporates, not to try to get a deal but to understand where the deal is going to be in five years. And prepare for that now. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So when we think about just like the evolution of supplier diversity and as we continue to evolve, you know, we're in 2022. I mean, I feel like it's changed so much just over the last two years. Hasn't it? I mean, what are some, some ways that you can really, like what's maybe the one or two things that you're just like, wow, this I wasn't expecting this, or this was something that has been the same and that I really, really appreciate or something Mm -hmm. that you didn't, you saw that change that you didn't like. (laughs) Virtual trade shows. Let's not do those anymore, people. You know, I went to two Mm -hmm. last year. Mm -hmm. Um, They were, they were not by an advocacy ordinance. They were by like a um, industry group. Okay. And, um, one was okay. Uh, sure, sure. Yeah. The other one was awful. Yeah. Like so bad. Like the timing was all off. Yeah. Some of the sound wasn't working very well. No. It just, no. the content wasn't as engaging. No. And I was like, you know, maybe if I was physically there, this would be better. But um, yeah, I, I did hear that some of the the virtual matchmaking and virtual sessions, it's just, it's hard to connect with people, like truly, truly connect. It is tough. And I find myself at the virtual stuff, connecting with the people I already know, right? It's, it's <laughs> like, like, oh, hey, hey yes, so it's so good to, good to <laughs> see you, right? You know, and so I'm not, right. I'm not really meeting with anybody new because I, yeah, that's, it's just tough. And I've, and I've tried it. I mean, some of the virtual one-on-ones, okay, that's not too bad, right? Yeah. But as far as like just trying to build a connection, if you're going to come and pitch me, 
okay, that's that that you can do virtually. But if you're going to sit there and try to like really engage me and start yes. building that relationship, that's hard to do virtually. And then trade shows, as I'm trying to learn about your organization and I'm going to this quote unquote booth, it's clunky. It's kind of awkward, you know, yeah. and sometimes it's done over chat function and it's just... <laughs> It's really weird. You know, it kind like, of re- hey, uh, reminds me of the old, I'm going to show my age, the old billboard sites in the early 90s, late 80s, you know, so when internet was first really starting to take off. Mm. Yeah, I saw all the millennials go, what in the, is he talking about? I was about? like, what? Yeah, it was, all, it was all chat-based, guys. Anyhow. All chat-based. all text-based, yes. So there were no GIFs, no videos, nothing. Yeah. In case you wondered how old Adam really was, I have just shown it. <laughs> Uh, well, oh, man. Well, you know, I agree with what you're saying. I think that like the flip side of that is I appreciate the effort, you know, because. Yes. And they've come a long way since we started this whole yeah. process. Right. Yes. Like since definitely. 2020. Right. For sure. Most definitely. Yeah. And I appreciate the fact that they're trying to, yeah. you know, all these all these various groups, um, whether they be advocacy organizations or chambers or industry associations, mm-hmm. that they're all trying to figure out ways to continue to add value to their members, whether yeah. they be corporations or suppliers. And and I, I think a lot of it is is, you know, when you think about it, it's like it has to be through content if we right. can't see each other. And right. so, you know, sometimes I don't think we have to try too, too hard. I think sometimes just networking and allowing people the opportunity to connect is is okay too. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I totally agree. What do I like that I'm seeing that I'm starting to see develop, yes. right? Yes. So a concept that I'm starting to see kind of developed and, and I'm working on a similar strategy myself is. Uh, what we are calling breakoff spend. I don't know if that's the greatest term for it, but that's kind of break what it's off spend. Breakoff spend. Okay. 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 So we have a huge supplier that's providing us some sort of widget. Okay. And there's okay. Soul Track, one supplier providing this widget. Okay. Nice. The idea is going and finding a diverse supplier that can also provide the same widget, going back to our big supplier and say, hey, you know, you're providing us 100% of this widget. We're only going to buy 90%. Of this widget from yeah. you. Okay. We're going to, yeah. 10% is going to go to the diverse supplier. Mm-hmm. Several great things about this one. I've just now increased my diverse spend, right? For something that I know I need to buy. We have all learned that in this last year, solo track sourcing is probably not the best long-term strategy for anybody moving forward. So by having a second provider of that good or service, great. Now I have a redundant system. So if something should happen to my main supplier, I now have a backup. Right. Already in place. I just got to switch the volume over, right? The other thing that does too is company, let's get, let's just be honest. If you have a solo provider or something, they get soft, they get comfortable, right? Mm-hmm. And in this era of, you know, drive the margin, drive the margin, drive the margin, we can't have our, we can't have our suppliers kind of getting comfortable with us, right? Feeling like, yeah. oh, they're never going to move away from me. I'm a huge, but you know, yeah. you got somebody providing 10% of it. Who's to say they don't do 30 next year and 40 the year after that, right? So mm. um, I think it keeps the competitive nature going on both sides, right? The diverse yeah. supplier is going to want more. The other supplier is going to protect what they have. And competition, internal competition among suppliers is a good thing. It, it, it definitely just is. is. A good it's thing. a good yeah. thing, you know? So I find that to be very interesting, right? It's a, it's a great way because the, the problem is, I think we come at it sometimes from a traditional sourcing standpoint and we think champion challenger, 
Yeah. Right. And it's like, okay, well, who, who am I going to unseat? You know, that's been around here forever to put a new diverse supplier in. Yeah. Well, we don't have to do that. If we just say, you know what, uh, I'm going to take 25% from you mm. and I'm going to bid 25%. Nope. Did you lose the contract? No, but I'm going to take 25%. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Is it going to work in every case? No, you have to really do your homework. You have to really understand where it makes sense. Um, there's a lot of factors that go into it. It's not just as easy as I presented it uh, on our show, but it's something I want people to start thinking about, you know, where can we, where can we break off some spend, mm-hmm. right. And, and, and move it around kind of in, and increase our diverse spend by it too. So that's Absolutely. something I'm very excited to see. And there's some things that haven't changed, but I'm glad haven't changed. <laughs> You know what? I th- the increased um, focus that supplier diversity has gotten over the past 18 months. Yeah. 18, 24 months. I'm really glad to see it. And I don't see it lit up either. I don't either. You know, um, uh, people are under finally understanding what it means, what the wealth gap means, what the healthcare gap means. And what supplier diversity professionals really do. Like, I don't think that people understood that before. I mean, because, in all honesty, it's very niche in the business world. And so not everybody has exposure to it. No, no, no. It's unbelievably niche. People think anybody can go and do it. Um, And I think that's probably... One of the things that one of the things I think that there needs to be some some catch up or some improvement in, mm. and that is how are we training people to do supplier diversity? Yeah. Right. How are what are we doing to promote it as a full time mm. profession? Yeah. Right. As somebody would study to go do, you know, we don't throw somebody into sourcing and go, ha ha, here is. Here's your software. Go negotiate and, it. Uh, you know, and, here's some previous yeah. contracts, you know, just yeah. <laughs> build up a whole. Just figure it out. Here. Yeah. 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 <laughs> go figure that out. Is there anyone that I can talk to or get mentored? No, <laughs> like, sorry, yeah, no, not here. Good luck. Nope, you're on yeah. your own. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I think we have to put some thought around how do we bring up the next generation? Yes, I think we definitely need to do that. I think, um, how do we bring up this next generation of supplier diversity professionals right. is something that has been on my radar for a while, but but not necessarily for the that exact same reason. Yeah. But what I am seeing is, and I, I would say since COVID is yeah. sort of this mass exit of supplier diversity professionals retiring. And so you've got this whole new generation Mm -hmm. of supplier diversity professionals who some of them have had exposure to it before, but some of them are new to it. And I feel like I'm, I'm saddened by it because I feel like there's a lot of institutional knowledge that's being lost. And it's so important to know what was done historically so that you don't make some of those same mistakes. And so that's one thing that I feel like I've seen over the last two years is it's became more and more apparent to me that there hasn't been very much thought around secession planning Mm -hmm. within our industry and how we transfer knowledge to future generations around what supplier diversity really is and what we think it should be in the future. Right. And then the thing that makes it even more complicated is each supplier diversity department is not like the other. Oh my gosh. It's another layer of complication. Exactly. Right. It's one thing to say, let's just develop a bunch of accounts. Well, account, you know, you have gap and accounting is accounting is accounting. 
right? right. But supplier diversity takes so much nuance onto it. Yeah, it's yeah. that's it's it's tough to do, right? So whereas we're sitting here going, yes, we must train up the next generation. You know, the counter watchword is like, yeah, but it's not a one size fits all magic bullet. It really isn't. Here's your curriculum. If you do A, B, and C. Boom. You know, you were talking earlier about a playbook, right? And everybody's like, let's have a playbook. Let's pull from the playbook. And it's like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I definitely, I don't, I, I see people pulling, like when I hear people talking, they're like, oh, and I've heard two people mention some playbook and it's the same playbook. And I'm like, where is this playbook? I don't know. No one ever gave me a playbook. copy. I don't have. A copy. I was like, I've never seen this playbook. No. I don't mm-hmm. know what people are referring to. Mm-hmm. But I, I definitely think it's something that um, we just need to think about. And I think what prompted me is I had a, this incredible conversation with um, this guy from a very, very large biopharmaceutical company okay. here based in the U.S. And he was talking about how early in his career, which he was like 1984, wow. <laughs> he was like, I he helped um, found the um, Michigan uh, Minority Supplier Development Council and some of the things that they did to bring on diverse suppliers and the training that they did and how it worked. And I just found it so insightful. I mean, I just was asking him so many different questions because some of the stuff that he said that they did to jumpstart it at its infancy is stuff that people aren't doing anymore, which I would say Uh, now, if we tried to do some of those things would be viewed as innovative mm -hmm. because they've just, I don't think that that's, it's just not the same strategy. And it was Mm -hmm. much more around development and that's how they were able to get critical mass. Mm -hmm. And there was just a huge, huge focus in the automotive space around developing true partnerships. Right with the automotive space um, at that time. But anyhow, I just remember thinking like we need to share some of this institutional knowledge because I think when we have historical context, it's easy for us to think about how can we innovate from what's happened, mm-hmm. you know, or what what's historically been done, but continue to build on that. Right, right. No, exactly. I, I absolutely love that. Take the way it was done and then adapt it to what we have now in the way of tools of automation and communication. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And just the connectivity that we all have now. So exactly. Exactly. It's it's completely limitless, completely limitless. Yes, it is. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn at Chloe Gidry Reed and Adam Moore. Yes. And if you enjoyed this episode, please check out our previous shows and stay tuned for next time. See you soon. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. We are grateful for the time you spend with us in participating in these conversations. Please review and rate and share our show as we are focused on growing awareness in the supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity space. If you'd like more information, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E ground dot I-O. Thank you for being here and we look forward to seeing you next week.